Road, we have had some really significant days in the life of our church, right? Days where the goodness and grace of God was poured out on us, not in like a, a stream or a trickle, but sort of buckets full of the grace of God. I think back to the day where we launched our church in 2009, September. That was a day when the goodness and grace of God was poured out in buckets on us as we began Sunday services for the first time some seven years ago. I think back to the day in September in, in 2010, October of 2010, when St. Mark's German Evangelical Reformed Church, a 134-year-old congregation, transferred this entire property and its legacy to us. It was a day where the goodness and grace of God was poured out in buckets on us. I think of each of the days we've celebrated baptism, where we've worshipped here and then gotten into our cars and driven over to the river, and we've baptized people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And standing there at the shore as a church, the grace and goodness of God has been poured out on us, not in a stream, but in buckets worth. I think of three years ago, going on four, when we called Binu to pastoral ministry. And we moved on that day from one elder to a plurality of elders, to, to men who would bear the load of serving and leading this church. I think of the day we called Dennis to be a deacon. These are days where the goodness and grace of God have been poured out to us like buckets. Today is one of those days. One of those days where the goodness and grace and generosity of God is being poured out on us. Because today, we, as you've heard, get to call Sibby to be a pastor here and Kurt to be a deacon here. We get to call Kurt to lead the church by serving as a deacon. And we call Sibby to serve the church by leading as an elder. That's what we get to celebrate this day. And I want you to hear, even as we speak to all, brothers, to you two especially, I pray that you would know how grateful to God everyone sitting around you are for you. I remember the first time that I met Sibby here at Seven Mile Road, the first sort of gathering we came to. Long before our church began, we were upstairs in a classroom up there, maybe a dozen of us or so. We were studying through 1 Timothy 2 which is not exactly the most exciting text of Scripture. It was about complementarianism and gender and men and women. And I would have never expected to see this brother come back. But for eight years now, he has continued to come back. And over these years, I have watched this brother grow in his love for the Lord and his love for the gospel and his love for his wife and what should be an encouragement to you, his love for you. I have gotten to see that this brother loves you. We said before, and I want to say it again, we're not calling him to be a worship pastor. We're calling him to be a pastor who will lead us in worship. That's just semantics, but the heart behind that is it's not that this guy is just incredibly good at music and so we've got to find a title to give him. But rather, this is a brother who wants to shepherd God's people, who feels called to the ministry of word and prayer, who has this noble, 1 Timothy 3, aspiration in his heart to be an overseer of the church, who wants to give an account to the flock that God has entrusted to his care. We're calling him to be a pastor who just happens to be also incredibly gifted in music, so he'll keep doing that as well, right? This is the joy we have this day. And then Kurt, 
When I first met Kurt, Kurt was the president of St. Mark's German Evangelical Reform Church the president of that church. And I have often thought and often said to him and to you, if it were not for Kurt and who he is and how he is, I don't know that this story would have worked out the way that it did. This brother did not cling to power or property, but parted with all of it freely, generously, and was the bridge between that church and ours. He would go to that service in the morning, walk, 10 minutes later come to this service to hear me preach the same exact thing and do it with great joy. I remember sitting with Kurt seven, eight years ago now at Perkins. We had a meal together and I asked Kurt, I said, brother, you are about to go from the president of St. Mark's Church to just uh, anybody. No titles after your name, no office, no position, no role. What is that going to be like for you? And that brother shared with me honestly, and in the years since, has been nothing but wonderful in receiving that. Has humbly served us in invisible ways, in ways you wouldn't even know, unnoticed all the time. It is a joy for us to call this man to be a servant, capital S servant, deacon, capital D deacon in the life of our church. We are grateful for you brothers and so I hope that you hear that and feel that and know that today. In a few minutes, we'll call these brothers up. As the scriptures say, we'll lay our hands on them and set them apart for this work and ask the Holy Spirit to empower them and fill them for that call. Before we do, what I want to do is just frame our time together by having us look together to God's word so that God, through his word, might tell us how we all should think about this day, how we should view their ministry and ours. And so, Sibby and Kurt, I want to encourage you, brothers, with all that's going on in your heart and all that is going on in your mind, pause your heart for a moment to hear this word as God speaking to you, that God has a word for you on this morning. But for all of us, it's good for you to know that 2 Timothy 2, that's the passage we're looking at. So if you've got a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, the passage that was read for us, this is not just a passage that is for pastors or deacons. This is a passage for all who are called to serve Jesus in whatever capacity he has called you to serve him. Whether that be as a mom or a dad, whether that be as a missionary in your workplace or school, whether that be as a soul care leader or a GCM leader or a nursery worker or a teacher, whatever it might be, in whatever capacity God has called you to serve him, this is a text worthy for you. Because as you hear this text, what it's going to highlight for us is the power for gospel ministry, a picture of gospel ministry, and the purpose of gospel ministry. What I want to show you very quickly in these few verses is the power for Christian or gospel ministry, a picture of gospel ministry, and the purpose of gospel ministry. As you can tell, I worked hard on those three Ps, so you should remember them well, okay? The first one, the power for gospel ministry. You should know that when the Apostle Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ is letting, writing this letter, his second one to his younger son in the faith, Timothy, his child. He is near the end of his life. He's imprisoned. He's probably about a year away from his death. And so this man writing this letter is a man who is standing at death's door. In fact, in the last chapter of this letter, in 2 Timothy 4, he will famously say, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. 
I have run the race. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And now is waiting for me a crown, and not just for me, but all those who long for and love the day of his appearing. This is the same Paul in 4 verse 18 of 2 Timothy. He'll say, the Lord is the one who's going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. This is a man who is ready to meet his maker. This is a man who's ready to depart from this world and be with Jesus. He's ready to close his eyes on this world and open them again to see Christ. He's ready to be with the Lord. And yet, before he does, he writes this letter because in this letter, what Paul wants to do is he wants to essentially pass the baton to Timothy his younger son in the faith, and he wants to encourage his younger son, his companion, his co-laborer. He wants to say to him, son, now you need to run. You need to run this race as I have. And so he passes this baton to Timothy, and he says, now is your turn. But know this, Timothy, Timothy is no Paul. If Paul is sort of a lion of Christian ministry, by nature, Timothy is a mouse. He's timid. He's weak. He's scared. In fact, constantly, Paul is having to write to Timothy saying things like, Be bold, son, because I know you tend to be afraid. Endure, son, because I know you want to quit. Stay the course, son, because I know you want to get out and leave. This is the word that he's constantly telling Timothy. In fact, when he writes to Timothy, you should know, Timothy is in a very rough spot in ministry. Timothy has been left to be a pastor at a church called Ephesus. And in Ephesus, this particular church plant that he's pastoring is a mess. There are bad leaders leading badly. There are false teachers teaching falsely. There's disunity among the people. The men are violent. The women are proud. There's issues with money. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong in the church at Ephesus. And if Timothy could, he would grab the first flight out of Ephesus, which is why in 1 Timothy 1, Paul has to say, I need you to stay there, son. I need you to endure there, son. That's why Paul is going to write to this weak, timid pastor and say, Pastor Tim, I know you want to run. You need to stay. I know you want to quit. Jesus needs you to endure. I know you're afraid. But the spirit, 2 Timothy 1, 7, has been given to you not of fear, but one of boldness. Timothy, you're going to have to stay in gospel ministry. And in order to do that, the first thing that he points him to in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, is the power for gospel ministry. Here's what he says, 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Hear that. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he says, here's what it's going to take, Timothy. And likewise, we, we say, here's what it's going to take, Sibby. Here's what it's going to take, Kurt. Here's what it's going to take, Seven Mile Road, for you to do what God's called you to do. Now, verse 2, by the way, tells you what God's called you to do. He says, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. You're to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's what gospel ministry is. It's what you heard me say to you in the presence of many. You are to say to others who will still say it to others more. That's gospel ministry. What you heard from me and what you hear from me, the gospel, the good news of the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
The good news of the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. That which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you are to trust to others who will be able to teach others also. That's gospel ministry. If you're here and you're a mom or a dad and you got this, if you got it, you'd get that gospel ministry has sort of four generations in view. It's almost like a, a dad or a mom passed this down to me. I'm passing it down to my son or daughter who's going to still pass it down. There's sort of four sort of four steps removed that Paul has in view to think what you've heard from me, Timothy, you're going to give to others who will give still to others. The essential call, it's a simple word, but it's a difficult word, is we're called to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. That's the call. That's gospel ministry, whether it be as a pastor or as a deacon or a member in the life of the church. But here's what it's going to take for you to do that gospel ministry. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't pass over that. Hear that. This is what it's going to require. It's going to require the strength that comes from the grace of Jesus Christ. For you to do what you have been called to do, you must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Hear that word. The word be strengthened is a, is a phrase that means it's an ongoing, continual thing. In the original language I looked up, scholars say this is an ongoing thing, meaning you're not filling your tank up once today, hoping it gets to full, and then just running until you run out of fumes and then keep on going in fumes. And we hope that you just last. You must be strengthened. That is, daily you've got to fill up the tank. Because by the end of every day, you're going to be on empty. Hear that. You must constantly, continuously, ceaselessly be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You never drift from this. You must always be dependent on the strength that God alone provides to do what you've been called to do. Hear that. Every GCM leader, every soul care leader, every teacher, every Sunday school person, every mom or dad, every missionary in work or school, every one of us need to hear, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, you must continuously be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I can tell you this, brothers, what that means for you two specifically. I'm not an old man, but I'd say in 11 years of pastoral ministry, and Benu is not an old man, but he would tell you in four years of pastoral ministry. What this text means is your gifting or your skill, your personality or your education, your talents or your tenacity, none of that will be enough for what God has called you to do. We should all spare you the suspense. You are not enough. You're not good enough for this call. And that might seem like an empty word today. I'm telling you, as you go into the hardest days of ministry, you should know you are not enough for this call. And there is nothing in your wiring or in your background, there is nothing in you that will have you endure. So you must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It will take nothing less, but thankfully, nothing more than that also for you to do what God has called you to do. That's the power for Christian ministry. He then gives us a picture 
of gospel ministry. In fact, he gives us three pictures. Paul, to try and explain what this is like, he gives you three pictures, three metaphors, so that you can really get a feel for what this is like. He says, being in gospel ministry is like being a soldier, it's like being an athlete, it's like being a farmer. Did you hear that? He gives you, after telling you the power for it, he gives you a picture of it. It's like being a soldier. It's like being an athlete. It's like being a farmer. This is gospel ministry. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You should know that Paul has already told Timothy in chapter 1, verse 7, you are not to be afraid, you are to be bold. The spirit given to you is not one of fear, but of boldness. So he's saying, don't be afraid. And the word fear there is actually the word connected to being a coward, to one who runs from battle. Having told Timothy already, I don't want you to be someone who runs from battle. I want you to be the opposite of that. The opposite of someone who runs from battle is someone who runs towards battle. And then you think to yourself, who on earth runs towards danger? Who on earth runs into the line of fire, into the face of danger? A soldier does. That's what a soldier does. We have some soldiers in our church. We honor them because they do the unthinkable. While the rest of us run from danger, they run to danger. While the rest of us run from the line of fire, they run to the line of fire. And Paul is saying here, that's what gospel ministry is. Gospel ministry is like being a good soldier. You don't escape suffering, you sign up to share in it. You don't avoid suffering, you embrace it. It's voluntarily, you think to yourself, who on earth voluntarily signs up for bullets whizzing past their head? For a big bullseye on their chest that says this is where the enemy should shoot. A, a soldier does. And he says, you should share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. A soldier is not surprised by attack. He expects it. A soldier is not stunned to realize that there's an enemy after him. He knows it. A soldier is not caught off guard by warfare. This is what he signed up for. Share in suffering as a good soldier. Gospel ministry is hard. Paul says. Paul knows that because there's hardly a city where Paul goes where he's either not prosecuted or persecuted for his faith. And he's essentially saying, Timothy, share in that with me. Don't run from that. Run towards that with me. Share in suffering as a good soldier. Can you see why timid Pastor Tim is going to need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? This is the call. And he says, as a soldier, remember, verse 4, that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That is, you don't have the luxury that a civilian does. A civilian can clock in and clock out. A civilian can live for his own purposes. But you cannot be entangled in civilian pursuits since, the text says, your aim is to please the one who enlisted you. Seven Mile Road as a whole, Sibby and Kurt in particular, would you take this in for a moment? That today, we are confirming and affirming that Jesus Christ enlisted you. Hear that. Would you let that sink in for a moment? 
Because I want you to know, it is not Pastor Binu who will call you. It is certainly not Pastor Ajay. And ultimately, it's not even Seven Mile Road Church. We will lay our hands on you because the scriptures tell us to do so. But in that moment, all we're affirming and confirming is Jesus Christ enlisted you. That if you felt a hand on your shoulder or on your forehead, that it would be the hand of Jesus himself drafting you to his team, drafting you to his work. You should let that take your breath away. Does that not mean that in your seat, in this very moment, you think to yourself, why? Why would he have called me? Does not every Christian go, I would have never called me. Why would he put his hand on my shoulder or on my forehead and draft me to his team? Why would he enlist one such as me? And the only answer to that is grace. It's the grace of Jesus. This is what you should be strengthened with. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that through no merit or work of your own, you have been enlisted by Christ. And when that fills your heart, does not your heart immediately respond by saying, I want to do whatever it takes to please the one who enlisted me. I want to do whatever to please the one who has called me. Be a good soldier. He says in verse 5, be an athlete. Look at verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Again, the metaphor is to press this idea. This call is to endure. It's to persevere. It's to share in suffering. It's to be an athlete. An athlete that's trained. That, an athlete that competes. And there's much to say here, but if I could give you just one thought. It's that here, he encourages Timothy not just to look to the beginning of the race, but to the end of it. Not just a view of your first day in ministry, but that on your first day you should have a view towards your last day in ministry. Because he says here, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rule. And so he's encouraging Timothy and he's encouraging you, envision a crown. That if you run this race, and if you keep the rules, and you finish well, there is a crown waiting for you. It is not enough to start well, you must Finish well. And so today is day one, but already in your view should be that this day matters much, but the last day matters more. Brothers, there is a character and a conduct that is called of you, required of you. It's not to perfection. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, he'll say we are called to this holy calling not by our works, but nonetheless it is a call to be above reproach, to be holy as he is holy to fight and to flee sin and to repent when you do sin. And I know in having spoken with you, you feel the weight of that. And that's a good thing. And so I want to encourage you on your first day to be tireless that not only your ministry, but your lives should be faithful as well. Be an athlete. Lastly, he says, be a farmer. Verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Be a soldier, be an athlete, be a farmer. A farmer. Do you remember the Super Bowl commercial a few years ago about the farmers? There was a Dodge truck commercial. It was probably the best commercial in the Super Bowl. It was just this old crackly voice of an old preacher man speaking to farmers. And it was for Dodge trucks. I looked up the text and I want to just read you what was in that commercial. Here's what it says. It said, on the eighth day... God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker, so God made a farmer. 
God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, and then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody to willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die, then dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need someone who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can harness out a haywire, feed sacks and shoe scraps, and who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon, then painting from tractor back, put in another 72 hours, so God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to tame lambs and wean pigs, somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake and disc and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk and replenish the feeder, finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. So God made a farmer. Now, I don't know what half of that means, <laughs> but don't you want to be a farmer, right? right? Don't you hear that and go, I don't know what that is, but... Man, that's awesome, right? You hear that, and, and the one thing that comes across is these brothers break a sweat. They work hard. They are not working one day a week. These brothers, they get up before the sun. They work. They are not lazy. Think of the life of a farmer, would you? No one is there to manage their time or supervise their work or give them regular performance reviews. They don't sit around waiting for a burst of inspiration to get at work, but they have rather disciplined themselves to daily work, often work that goes unnoticed and often work that seems at the moment unproductive because everything they do is waiting, waiting, hoping that their labor, sun up and sundown, all that labor might one day yield a harvest. And so they work. Though they see nothing for all their work, they work. Having no idea if what they have done will amount to anything, they work. That's what a hard-working farmer does. And Paul says that's gospel ministry. In another place, he compares it to that of being an ox. What's an ox? An ox is a beast that you put a weight on its back. And that thing puts its head down and it plows. One step after another, it plows so that one day, hopefully, that weight will be taken off its back. It'll straighten up and maybe be able to look over its shoulders and see a harvest behind it. That's gospel ministry. That's gospel ministry. A deacon is saying, put on my back the weight of serving this church and its leaders. And I'll put my head down. And I will do unnoticed work that almost seems unproductive and I'll put one foot after another and I will plow for as long as God calls me to. A pastor is saying, put a weight on my back. The ministry of word and prayer. A flock on whom I'm going to on the last day give an account before the Lord. And I will put my head down and I will plow. One foot after another in often unnoticed and what almost feels like unproductive work with the hope that when he gives me release, that weight will be taken off my back. I'll finally straighten up. I'll look over my shoulder and see a harvest. That's gospel ministry. It's what we're calling every man and woman, every dad and mom, every missionary, every leader, every deacon, and every pastor too. 
As you hear this, is it now not clear to us why Paul began, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Because if you are going to share in suffering like a good soldier, you need the grace of Jesus. If you are going to compete like an athlete and keep the rules and be crowned in the end, you need the strength that comes from the grace of Jesus. If you're going to be a hardworking farmer that plows and then looks back to see a harvest, you are going to need the grace and the strength of Christ Jesus. This is the power for Christian ministry. This is the picture of Christian ministry. In two minutes, let me just tell you the purpose of Christian ministry. He finishes this passage by saying in verse 7, you should think about what I said. Because he doesn't unpack all those metaphors. He's basically saying, Timothy, you should let this sort of revolve in your mind. And the Lord will give you understanding to it. Then in verse 8, he says to all of us, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. He's saying to all of us, don't let Jesus be far from you as we talk through all this. Remember Christ. Remember his death and his resurrection as I proclaimed and for which I suffer. Remember. And is that not a good word for all of us today as well? We should remember Jesus. If there was anyone who had a bullseye on his chest and fought an enemy and sacrificed and suffered and laid down his life, is it not him? If there's anyone who kept the rules and ran the race and finally received a crown, is it not him? If there's anyone who put a weight on his back and walked one foot after another, so that finally he could turn around and see a great harvest for all his labor. Is it not him? Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, is proclaimed in my gospel, for which I am suffering, but the word of God is not bound. And then he finally says, and here's why I'm doing all of this. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul, what's all this for? Seven Mile Road, what's all this for? Every pastor, every deacon, what's all this for? It's all of this is so that the elect might obtain salvation in Jesus Christ. All this suffering, all this hardship, all this labor, all this endurance, all this perseverance... All of that, what a mom needs to hear on a Wednesday afternoon, what a dad needs to hear after work on a Friday night, exhausted, what you need to hear in Sunday school or in GCM or in whatever capacity God has called you to serve him, what a pastor needs to hear, what a deacon needs to hear is all this is so that others might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, so that every man, woman, and child might receive salvation in Christ Jesus. That's what it's for. If you're here and you're not a Christian, would you hear me for a second? Would you for just a moment, you may not believe in Christ, but would you let your heart take in and even be slightly moved or warmed by the thought, all of this has been put together by God just to get you. Do you see the lengths God will go so that you might obtain salvation in Jesus Christ? The lengths that God will go that he will send his own son 
to suffer and die and bear your sins. And then we'll build the church and call men and women to serve it and to give their lives to it, to endure suffering and hardship and go through all they go through with the one aim that you might obtain salvation. If that does not convince you of the love of God and the lengths God will go for you, then what will? So maybe today let your heart be moved towards Him. A God who would move heaven and earth and move His people towards heaven and earth to get to you. And if you are a Christian then would I ask you, commit yourself to this again. This is your call. Not to some kind of safe Christianity. Not to a weekend religion. Your call is to be a soldier, an athlete, a farmer for gospel ministry. This is the power for it. This is a picture of it, Kurt and Sibby. This is the purpose for it. Be encouraged by that. In a moment, I'm going to call these brothers up and we're going to commit them to the Lord and to this ministry. We want to honor you and encourage you for the things you've done. We want you to know this ministry doesn't begin today. What we're affirming is we've seen and experienced this ministry from you in days that have already gone by. To that end, I'm going to invite Brett and Mike to come for just a word to affirm you, to encourage you, and then we will walk you through calling and commissioning you. So I'm going to invite these brothers to come. Brett will come first. join with you today. Oh, there we go. It's a great joy to join with you today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brett LaPrad. Uh, I've been in this church for about three years. Um, and as I look through this crowd that's gathered here today, uh, it really humbles me and makes me count this as a great privilege and honor to address you. I say that because I look out and I see some of Sibby's family. I see many friends who have known him since uh, when he was this high, knee high to a grasshopper, as we say, from where I come from. Uh, so and in many ways, as I get to talk about his qualifications for you to receive him as your pastor, uh, I feel unqualified to even address you. Uh, so please accept my words with graciousness uh, and join me in my joy with joining him. So I've known Sibby for about three years. Over the last several months, though, I've gotten to know him more. Uh, we co-lead the Willow Grove GCM, which is just a small group here at the church. Um, and through that time, I've noticed really three things about Sibby that stand out. And I just want to share those with you. First, Sibby deeply cares for people. He cares for us. Uh, through meetings, sometimes at 6.30 in the morning, sometimes at 10 p.m. at night, I spent time talking with Sibby about the cares the troubles, the struggles, and the joys of people in our GCM. We've prayed together. We've labored together. we spent time in the Word together, all for the end that our GCM, our members, might be made more mature and conform to the image of Jesus. He cares for you. He wants you to develop, and he wants you to love Christ as he does. Secondly, he cares for teaching. He cares for this Word that we've just heard of Jay preach. He cares for the gospel that has been entrusted to him. The psalmist says in Psalm 1 that the righteous man, the wise man, this is what he's like. His delight is in the instruction of the Lord, and on his instruction he meditates day and night. This is Sibi. Later on the psalmist says, My soul clings to the dust, 
Give me life according to your word. I could be here all day telling you how many times I've heard Sibby say things like that. We are receiving a man today who proclaims the word of truth because he's been changed by the word of truth. So he cares for teaching. But finally, and one of the things I find most admirable in Sibby is that he cares for his personal holiness. He cares for his own righteousness and his own godliness. We're not receiving Sibby as a priest. We don't need priests anymore. We don't need someone to stand before us on our behalf. What we need is pastors, ones that care for us and lead us under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. So I have good news and bad news. We're, the good news is we are receiving a pastor, but the bad news is that pastor is still a sinner. But what Sibby would be the first to tell you is that, yes, he's a sinner, but he is a sinner redeemed and saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, like Paul, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So let Sibby be our model for what it looks like to repent and be faithful in the Christian life. So those are words to you, church, for receiving Sibby, a cause for us to be joyous and to celebrate this day. Let me just say a few words to Sibby to encourage and exhort him as he begins this gospel ministry. Sibby, it's been a great joy to know you and to grow together over these last years. Uh, so I just want to say three things to you, and they're things that you already do, and if you continue to grow in these ways, you will serve this church in ways that you can't even imagine. So first, care for us. Care for these people. Under the good shepherd Jesus, lead us as one of his chosen shepherds. Lead us to still waters to him. Fight the wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing. And feed us the word of God that so feeds your soul. Be like our God. He is great. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is awesome. But he is near to us. And he has become like us in every way. Caring for us and now indwells us by his spirit. Do those things for us, Sibby. Care for us. Continue to care for the teaching as well. Paul tells Timothy... Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard that, Sibby. We're in an age of sin, darkness, despair, brokenness, struggle, and affliction. It seems like everywhere the flesh, the world, and sin reigns. But this good news of Christ is that Christ reigns over that. Guard that. Teach us that. Feed us that. And finally, and if you don't hear anything else and remember anything else from my weak words this morning, continue to care for your personal holiness. I was moved by the words of Robert Murray McChaney, a 19th century Scottish pastor. He said, the whole of ministry is this. This is how he evaluated his ministry. He said, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. See, this church will only be as faithful as its pastors. You're becoming the rudder to the ship of God's people. We will go where you go. We will repent where you repent. We will forgive where you will forgive. We will fight sin where you fight sin. We will rejoice where you rejoice. We will grieve where you grieve. We will love what you love. Lead us well. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, as Titus says. Live a self-controlled, upright life a godly life, helping us wait for the coming of Jesus. Your care for this people, 
Your care for teaching will be like a trickle if it's coming from a drought-stricken reservoir of your personal holiness. But your care and your teaching will be like a mighty river if it comes from a deep sea of personal holiness. Take that to heart. I trust that you can do that, and I look forward to being shepherded and led by you. Uh, I celebrate you. We love you as a church, and we cannot wait for the years to come in ministry. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Mike Bowder, and uh, I've been a member of Seven Mile for about uh, two and a half years now, and uh, known Kurt uh, all that time, uh, not as long as, as most of you, but enough time for me to realize um, that we have a, a real blessing in, in Kurt, in, in who he is, who God has made him uh, to be. Um, so over the past several months, I'm sure, uh, Kurt, you've been submerged in, in passages like the one that Pastor Jay spoke of this morning, um, and, and also 1 Timothy 3, where it go, Paul goes through the uh, qualifications for, for a deacon. I'm not going to um, speak to that this morning, because um, you know those verses really well, I'm sure. So we wanna, what I want to speak to uh, instead is, is from a different list, a list that uh, we're all familiar with to some extent, um, and I, I want this to serve two purposes. Uh, one, to affirm, Kurt, to you, uh, the church, but uh, brother, also to encourage you as, um, as you begin this task of being a deacon. So I'll read uh, Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kurt is a, uh, a man who wears his joy as a garment. He's, he's always happy. He's always smiling. Uh, that's to you, church. Kurt, to you, let your joy always be in Jesus. Not in man, not even in your wife, but in Jesus. Sorry, Peggy Sue. <laughs> peace. Uh, church, Kurt is a peaceful guy. Uh, if you've ever spoken with him, he has this, just this peace about him. He doesn't argue and he doesn't quarrel, not even about sports. Kurt, to you, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Let him be the Prince of Peace in your heart. Patience. Kurt doesn't have a temper, at least I don't think he does. But Kurt doesn't have a temper and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't speak ill of people. He, he, listens, uh, he listens patiently. He deals with people patiently. So, Kurt, to you, be patient. Be patient with your wife. Be patient with us. Uh, be patient with others. Kindness. Uh, with Kurt, you get, you get kindness from the start. Uh, Kurt, to you, have, uh, have that Christ-like kindness about you as you minister to us, as you serve us. Goodness. Kurt's a good guy. There's nothing more to say about that. <laughs> Kurt, uh, with goodness, imitate the goodness of Christ. Faithfulness. No one is more faithful to this church and to this body than Kurt. Kurt, remain steadfast in your faith to God and in your faithfulness to us. 
gentleness. Kurt has a, a disposition of gentleness. That's who he is. Kurt, emulate the gentleness of Christ, how Christ was gentle even with children. And then self-control. He's not, Kurt's not a random guy. He doesn't do uh, things out of line. He's very measured. Kurt, with self-control, guard your heart. I'm forgetting one, aren't I? If you think about it, the um, infamous verses from 1 Corinthians 13, we, we hear it at weddings uh, talking about love. The final verse in that section says, uh, or actually defines love, those, those verses actually define love by the fruits of the Spirit. And the chapter closes with this statement, but the greatest of these is love. Church, here is a man who serves in and by love. Kurt, press on and serve us and God in love. Love you, brother. Thank you. Sibby and Steph, you can come forward. This is the nicest I've ever seen you dress. <laughs> Steph must have picked out your clothes this morning. <laughs> Um, Sibby, Stephanie, uh, we love you guys. Uh, we really do. And we're really grateful uh, for this day. Sibby, we're really grateful that God has called you to this. Uh, we have seen your heart, experienced your heart over these years, and we're really grateful that, uh, that God has called you to this office this morning. Uh, you know, what we want to do is to kind of take a moment to remind you of what it is that God is calling you to, and to remind you of that. Um, it isn't us that's calling you to this role and to this office this morning. God himself is calling you. So we want to consider together what it is that God is calling you to uh, and give you an opportunity to publicly commit yourself to this calling that God has called you to as well. So I want to read some things from the scriptures, uh, and then after I'm done, you can each section you can say, uh, I do, okay? So, Sibby, do you publicly reaffirm your faith in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Having received with repentance and faith the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as revealed by the inspired, infallible, and authoritative Holy Scriptures, you can say I do. Titus 1, 7-9 states, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So do you promise by the grace of God to conduct your life in accordance to these words? You can say, I do. First Timothy 3, 4 to 5 states that a pastor must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Do you promise by the grace of God to love and lead your wife sacrificially as Christ did the church? 
And furthermore, to lead your family to be obedient to Christ, so that by leading your family well, you show yourself qualified to lead God's family, the church. 1 Peter 5, 2-3 states, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you promise, by God's grace, to shepherd Seven Mile Road Church in this way and to live your life as an example to us? Acts 20, 28 states, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Do you promise, by the grace of God, to care for Seven Mile Road Church, knowing that Jesus obtained these precious people with his own blood, and the Holy Spirit has made you a pastor here? Ephesians 4, 2-3, calls us to live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you promise by the grace of God to live in patience and forbearance with the other leaders and members of this church family, seeking at all times to maintain unity and peace? And finally, in response then to God's grace and his call on your life, do you now accept leadership in this church, committing yourself to believing the gospel living in community, and being on mission, faithfully fulfilling your ministry as a pastor of Seven Mile Road Church. Well, church, uh, we had an opportunity here to see Sibby commit to this calling that God has placed on his life, and yet we also have a call this morning, and that is to submit to the leadership that Sibby will provide us uh, through God's calling as well. And so I want to lead us through two statements, uh, and at the end of it, uh, for those who belong to this church, you can respond by saying we do. Some of my wrote, Hebrews 13, 17 states, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you, the members of Seven Mile Road Church, acknowledge and receive Sibby now as your pastor, charged by God to keep watch over your souls, as one who will have to give an account before the Lord, you can respond by saying, we do. And do you promise by the grace of God to submit to him and follow him as your pastor, to pray for him, to support and encourage him, supplying for his needs as the scripture commands, receiving his leadership in a way that would give him great joy, you can respond by saying, we do. Okay, church, we want to spend a few moments praying for Sibby. And so as we lay hands over him and pray, I want to encourage you to pray with us. We have heard uh, all that we have just heard from the scriptures right now. Uh, the call is a wonderful call, a noble call, and yet a difficult call. So would you pray for grace for this brother as he enters into this call that God has placed in his life? Pray with me. Our God, as we have heard from your scripture this morning, what a wonderful story that you have written. Your word says that we were once alienated from you, separated because of our sin. We were at enmity with you, and yet you did not treat us as our sins deserve. 
Instead, you gave us Jesus. You gave your only son to die on the cross, to lay down his life. And because he resurrected, we ourselves are able to have relationship with God. He has built the church. And even now, as we lay hands on this brother, we confess to you, our Lord, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the true head of the body of Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his flock. And yet in your wisdom, our Lord, you have called men to be under shepherds of the chief shepherd. And this morning, we especially pray for this under shepherd, Sibi. We're grateful for this brother. We're grateful for his life and his love for you and his belief in the gospel and his love for us. We're grateful that you have given him and his family to us. We are grateful that we're not even asking him now to benefit us, but we have already benefited from him in many ways. We are grateful that you have called him to this office. And Lord, we're praying, would you give him strength for each day? May the cry of his heart always be that Jesus must increase and that he must decrease. Our desire is for you to be made known in the city that you have placed us, in the neighborhoods that we belong to, and we're grateful that you have given us yet another shepherd who can lead us and guide us so that we would, in fact, live out the call that you have placed on our lives. I pray for this brother. Would you help him so that he would first commit to his primary ministry of loving his wife, that he would lay down his life for her, that she would feel loved by him as Christ loves him as well. I pray that as he seeks to do so, would you also give him strength and grace to be able to love and lead us as a church. I pray, Lord, would you keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of his faith. Keep him far from sin of every kind. Help him to delight in you more than anything else in this world. Give him a great love in you. I pray, God, would you give him a great love for your word. Help him to teach us not to sway to the left or to the right, but faithfully teach us the word so that we would know it and believe it and live in obedience to it. Would you make him and continue to help him to be a man of prayer, that he would pray for his flock. Lord, who is fit for this calling? And we're grateful yet that you have not left us on our own. Instead, you have given us a spirit of God who enables us to do the very things that you have called us to do. And so we trust in him. And I pray for us, Father, would you help us so that we would lead the flock well. Help us to learn from the shepherd of our souls, the chief shepherd of the church, and give our lives to him. We thank you for this brother and for his family. Give him all that he needs, grace for each day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Kurt and Peggy Sue to come up now as well.
As we said before, elders are those who serve the church by leading, and deacons are those who lead the church by serving. And so it's a joy for us, as you have heard throughout this service, to call you brother and to have you be the, such a meaningful church family to us. So I'm going to lead you also through these commitments publicly before the church. Kurt, do you publicly reaffirm your faith in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, having received with repentance and faith the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as shown to us by the inspired, infallible, and authoritative Holy Scriptures? I do. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 10 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So then do you promise by the grace of God to conduct your life in accordance with these words? I do. 1 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Do you promise by the grace of God to love and lead your wife sacrificially as Christ did the church, and furthermore, to lead your family to be obedient to Christ, so that by leading your family well, you show yourself qualified to serve God's family, the church. I do. In Acts 6, men of good repute and full of the spirit and wisdom were appointed to serve the church in order to free the elders to devote themselves to the prayer and ministry of the word. Likewise, do you promise by the grace of God to serve Sevmar Road Church and her elders in this way? I do. Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 3 says, Live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So do you, Kurt, promise by the grace of God to live in patience and forbearance with the other leaders and members of this church, seeking at all times to maintain unity and peace. I do. Finally, in response then to God's grace and his call on your life, do you now accept the call to be a servant of this church, committing yourself to believing the gospel, living in community, and being on mission, faithfully fulfilling your ministry as a deacon of Seven Mile Road Church? I do. Amen. Church, in the same way, join us as we lay hands and pray for this brother and set him apart for this work. Pray with me even as I pray aloud. Our God, we look together to the true servant, the one who said the, man, the Son of Man came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, you are the one who at that final meal wrapped a towel around your waist, stooped down on your knees, and washed the feet of those you were entrusted, who were entrusted to you, those who you were called to lead and serve. You became the waiter at that meal. You became the servant. And so in every way, we pray that you would fix Jesus in Kurt's heart as the picture for this ministry. That as Paul said, he would remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, as proclaimed in the gospel. We pray, O oh Lord, that you even now would fill this brother with the Holy Spirit and empower him and equip him for the work that you've called him to do. Set him apart for this even now. Place your hands on his shoulder, your hand on his forehead, and call him, enlist him to this work. We set him apart as a church and confirm and affirm your calling on his life to serve this church and her leaders as he has done. 
Pray that you would protect our brother and our dear sister from the evil one. Protect their family. Protect them in every way from sin from within and sin from without. We pray that you would protect them from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and keep them in the love of God. We pray that you would help them to put off all the evil that is no longer who we are, but instead you would help them to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and gentleness and humility, that the peace of Christ would rule and reign in their hearts and their homes and their ministry, and that you would above all let them be bound in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We pray that their lives and their ministry would be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray that what was spoken over them this day would be true for as long as you have them serve in this way. And bless our brother. We pray that you would encourage him as we honor someone who has labored for us. We thank you, O Lord, for all that you have done in Kurt's life and done through Kurt's life. And look forward to all the blessings we will reap because you raised this man up. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.